Welcome to Lessons for Leaders. This week I'm talking to you about what's hot in the world of well-being. You've probably noticed that well-being is one of the hottest words in business today as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, as we come through World Wellbeing Week, I've been talking to individuals and companies who are looking for further support because their plans are not necessarily having the impact that they desire. So today I'm sharing the key themes that I'm hearing from the companies that I talk to and how they are looking at more strategic plans, the top areas of focus for managers and the one worry that organisations have coming up. So join me on today's episode. So welcome to Lessons for Leaders. Each week I bring you lessons, learnings, tips and advice to enable you to lead with ease in business without the stressed out and overwhelm so that I help you increase your performance, be resilient and thrive in life. I'm Emma Langton, your host, leadership coach and workplace trainer, helping you and your workforce increase that performance, improve well-being and make the impact that you want in the world. Now, recently, I've been working with organisations and individual leaders and managers to help them to be able to become more focused, less stressed, and have a wider impact on both their personal well-being and that of their teams. You know, I worked with Kate, who's a director, and she said I enlisted Emma's help as I was stressed, overwhelmed, and struggling with my own work-life balance. I felt like I was constantly firefighting and both home and work life were suffering as a result. Emma's one-to-one coaching program was a breath of fresh air and clarity. No unrealistic goal setting, just simple, straight-talking advice that made sense. Emma has armed me with tools and techniques to focus, work more effectively, prioritise and let go of the crap. It's always good to let go of the crap, isn't it? So if you want this for your teams or for you as an individual or for your managers and leaders, because they have been dealing with such a lot over this last year, then please do get in touch with me. I'm happy to talk to you about what the different options are and what we can put in place to support your individuals and your teams. If you're not ready to do that yet, then you can get onto my newsletter. Again, link in the show notes and information on my website at emmalankton.com. The newsletter sends out tips, information, statistics, the latest reports and the current organisational trends that are happening right now so that you don't have to dig around for it. It comes out monthly so you can guarantee that I won't be spamming you. And finally, a request from me that if you haven't hit the subscribe button or left a review for me, then please do go and find the little button and leave a review. Let me know your key thoughts and your takeaways and what you value most from the podcast. If you hit subscribe, it makes sure that you never miss another episode. So welcome back, listeners. Now, I don't need to remind you that the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic has changed people's, I was going to say working lives, but actually entire life um, dramatically over the past, what, 14, 15 months. And, you know, we know the effects of lockdown, furlough, redundancies, absenteeism, and that 
massive shift to homeworking. It's exacerbated stress, it's uh, caused lots of problems, which has brought, I mean, there's some good stuff come out of it. I'm not here to do total doom and gloom, but it has brought well-being up onto people's radar and it has been beneficial to some people to be able to shift the balance in how they work or what it is that they do. But there's no doubt But that it's been difficult as well. It's been tremendously difficult. We're not going to get away from that. So organisations are uh, continuing to identify where they need to put their focus with well-being and really now what I'm seeing and hearing is that organisations are wanting to get a better approach to everything that they're doing. When I say organisations, as I said in the intro, I'm sharing the key themes that I'm hearing. Now, it doesn't mean that this is all that's happening, but I'm not going to ramble on in your ears for days, (laughs) quite honestly. So these are the key themes. Now, predominantly, I work with professional services, so law, financial areas, but also with tech companies who have some different types of issues and education are common areas that I've been talking to a lot more too. So, which I find quite interesting, but some of the key themes really are about the dealing with change. Now, you may sit there and raise your eyebrows a little bit um, or whatever it is that you do with something, when somebody says something that surprises you a little bit. You would have thought by now that people are used to this change. The thing is, changes to the way that we work have created and creating these new work demands and these new routines for people have long been known to be a problem for individuals, for peoples, for organisations. However, the thing is that with COVID, there's been a continuous change. So, you know, initially we um, were isolating, there was people not going out, the roads were empty, remember? Somebody was walking on the footpath and somebody else would walk on the road. People are a bit closer together now. Then we went to wearing masks. Then some people are not bothered about wearing masks then, you know, we can't do concerts, but we can do go into um, sports stadiums. So there's this constant change. So that's difficult for people because people don't know, you know, kind of like the what's right, what's wrong and things. Because don't forget that this isn't just a structural change or a reorganisation. Um, people that struggle to cope with change and a, a lot of them, are around will struggle also in the next bit of getting back into the office too. Some have loved working from home and not doing the commute. Some miss the commute. Some miss the um, you know busier bantering environment of the office. For some, it gave better working hours, and some or many actually have struggled with boundaries, which is obviously what I uh, work with and help with people a lot. So that dealing with change is something that people are definitely struggling with and organisations are looking to. And remember too that if you are, I've been having this conversation absolutely loads over these past few weeks, if you're the one that's putting in the whatever it is that you need to put in for people to be returning to the office, so the plans and the the distancing and all the extra cleaning and, uh, you know, booking flexi desks or whatever it is that you are doing because you're already working with it you're ahead of that change curve 
If you don't know what I mean by the change curve, drop me an email, emma at emmalangton.com um, and I can send you some information about it or honestly, just Google it. <laughs> but you're going to be ahead of the change curve with everything because you're putting the arrangements in place. Remember that everybody's going to be behind you so they're not as up to speed. They're not as much in that place as you. Those people that have been really missing the office, yes, they're going to be kind of up there and, and maybe wanting to get back, but not everybody is. So remember that different people are in different places of wanting to do things, of levels of acceptance and all of that kind of stuff. So again, making sure that line managers are equipped with the knowledge and skills to manage change, to deal with the stress and the worries and anxieties that are going to come up for people on the return to the office is going to be one key area that you are going to have to be able to deal with. Which brings me to my next bit, how to talk to people. Now, this is no joke. People are saying to me, I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to say when somebody says that they are struggling. These are, <laughs> I don't really agree with it being called soft skills, but these are what's known as soft skills. So how do we talk to people when they are struggling? How do we respond? And even, you know, what do we say when we can clearly tell that there's something not right with somebody, but we don't know how to speak to them, how to get the best out of them or how to unpick why they're being so different, weird, difficult even, obstructive, moody, sulky, jumpy, whatever it is. Because organisations have done a great piece of work to get their people to come forward and say that they're struggling because there's been a big focus on that. Some people are still playing catch up with that but what I'm talking to people is they've done a great bit of work about getting people to come forward and then if their managers and their responses are not quite as up to speed, if you like, for want of a better way of putting it, it gets left and that person feels not listened to or ignored or insignificant or unsupported. And that sounds harsh, but these are words that my clients have used with me. So managers need to know and feel confident and comfortable to be able to check in regularly on people, to spot the warning signs of poor well-being, to be able to refer to you know expert sources of help where needed, or to do some adjustments in the workplace. Managers need to treat these people as individuals and take into account their personal as well as work-related issues. Because if somebody's really, really struggling at home, it's going to make it difficult for them to be able to do their job. And this means that having the competence to really have those trust-based relationships and to be able to nurture them, to be able to build them so that the individuals can feel okay to talk about work or wellbeing issues with their managers. So that's one thing. And some places have done that and got people to come forward, as I've already said. But then organisations do, I agree, expect a lot of their line managers. It's not just about managing on the job, it's the people management. And the people skills are the things that people struggle with the most. You know, so rising to that challenge, managers need effective support themselves. So ask yourself, do your managers feel comfortable having conversations with people about their mental health? Because if they don't, and if you're not asking that question of them, consider getting some training and guidance to increase their confidence. One of the things that I've been doing all the way through COVID is about um, helping managers 
with mental health awareness and being confident in having those conversations. And people have found it really, really valuable and they say that it's given them effective and simple tools and techniques. Because the other bit is that managers and particularly HR leaders often think that they're there to fix the problem. And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's about that ability to listen. And that ability to listen is in next week's podcast. But it is about that ability to listen and why it's good and the the effect that it can have on the person that's come to you. But in addition to that, this is where it's important to support the supporters, as I like to call it. Whether it's senior leaders, your HR department, even your mental health first aiders, your mental health champions, whatever, ensure that you have the support there to support those that need it. Because if they're having more and more of these conversations, then what are they doing to keep themselves right? Because therapists, as I often say, therapists and counsellors have supervision. And it's not just a place where they check in and make sure what they're doing is okay or that, you know, the, the, the therapeutic plan that they have with their clients is kind of on the right path. What it is, is to ensure that they themselves are okay and they are supported and have a way to offload. To give you an idea of how this can work in an organisation, well, I provide ad hoc coaching packages to organisations for this purpose. Some organisations put in monthly meetings for their mental health first aiders to share ideas and offloads and things like that. The things that I support can either be in a more formal arrangement of once a month session by the individual or group, or organisations are buying like 10 or 20 sessions off me so that their people at any level, maybe it's individuals, maybe it's the leaders that I mentioned, can book an ad hoc session as and when they feel that they need it. But obviously there's work around and promotion around that to make sure that people know it's there, that people get signposted to it. Um and that they feel comfortable with taking up that offer. So think about what support it is that might be needed. Be strategic. Encouragingly, findings are showing that more organisations are stepping up their efforts to put, you know, get mentally healthy workplaces in place. However, Studies are showing that half still think that their efforts at tackling work-related sort of stress and well-being are not really as effective as they could be. So it it tells us really that organisations need to adopt a more um, strategic approach. And building that strategic approach to ensure health and well-being priorities are integrated across the business will help to stop the pitfalls. We've spent time through COVID doing what I call sticking plaster workshops and plugging gaps reactively throughout COVID. But sometimes now what people are talking to me about is that they've got like a menu of activities that are just not joined up and are not hitting the spot. So when people come to me and they say, you know, what what can I do now to increase engagement? What can I do to, you know, um, help people stay well or stop people leaving? And I'm saying to people all of the time, What's the problem behind it? You've got to get strategic about this. So although organisations are moving away from reactive and are being more proactive at looking strategically at their overall wellbeing plan, 
So what you can do for this is to revisit my other episode with the seven steps for well-being. Um, And I'll put a link in the show notes to take you direct to it. But it gives you more detail about how to be strategic. And it starts, you know, at the beginning with finding out, the first step is finding out what your specific issues are. And then identifying the needs that you have. Looking at what are the benefits going to be. Because if you don't know what the benefits are, then you can't really sell the program really and you then can't know what outcomes you're looking for and then also look for what are going to be the barriers to this success what are going to be the things that are going to stop people taking it up maybe it's about communication maybe it's about understanding maybe it's about people coming forward but then you can look at creating your entire well-being plan that's running across 12 months for example And I say that often organisations do say monthly themes of things because bombarding people with information too much too soon and just like throwing everything at them means that actually people just shut down and then they don't take anything on board. So doing bits in each month or in themes and things can be drip feeding bits and pieces through and start little and often to get a success. I was talking to a school the other day and I said to him, look, you know, when you're teaching your kids to learn the times table, you don't get them to learn all of them at once. You start with one and you start with the easiest one. It doesn't necessarily mean you start with two. Sometimes they start with five times table and then go back to two. And then, you know, so they switch it about. So it's about where's the quick wins, but part of an overall plan, where are you going to get the successes? So even with each stage of this, um, strategic well-being plan you're still then being strategic about where are you going to create the wins and where are you going to get people on board so then that might be about your implementation and how it is that you're going to do it and sometimes it's not about starting at the beginning but it's about starting with quick wins but still being part of the overall picture but then of course remember to review Review monthly, quarterly and things about is it being successful or do you need to tweak it and change it and adjust it? And maybe you need to tweak it and change it, adjust it because something else has happened, you know, with COVID or or, or with working conditions or whatever. So some organisations are having me help them with the overall wellbeing plan. For some, I'm facilitating focus groups. For some, they just want to bounce ideas off me and say, does this sound like a good plan? So there's different ways that I can support you and different ways that you can get this in place because it's going to be individual because it's got to be right for you. And this strategy also, as I've kind of previously said, might be about involving um, or equipping line managers with the knowledge and skills that they need to manage well-being in their team so that... It's supporting the good mental health overall. So focusing on prevention and managing the risks of stress and poor mental health, you know, so it all links in. So do your people come forward and then what? Do managers then have the conversations and then what? Are they aware of the risks, the health and safety, the adjustments that can be done? Management style is another main cause of work-related stress that then affects mental well-being and their overall well-being. 
So are your managers equipped, you know, to go about things in the right way? Even, it's not just conversations, but it's people management. Are they trained? Have they got the right behaviours to nurture those trust-based relationships with their team members, with their colleagues, with your employees? And coaching and training in these circumstances might include something for that so that they can learn how to get the best out of people without kind of doing like command and control sergeant major and authoritarian type things so it might be that it enables people to reflect you know on what's a good way to do things or why their kind of way of working is not being effective or why they've got lots of people leaving and all those sorts of things so then they might be able to do learn how to do positive and constructive feedback as well as have those conversations as well as leading by example and promoting healthy work habits. So then you can develop these strategies to tackle things like presenteeism and leaveism or you might you know be creating a guide for managers you might be helping them to support spot warning signs So there's lots of things that people do, encouraging, you know, a healthy use of digital technology so people can switch off. So then we're back to boundaries and your working hours. So, you know, in 2020, um, Benenden Research said that more than half of working parents whose mental well-being has been impacted say that it's balancing the working from home and childcare was having a negative impact on their mental well-being. Now, we have got schools back in, but companies that I'm seeing are investing in support for healthy boundaries again because they're seeing those working hours merging into the evenings and weekends because school days are incredibly short, really. And parents are struggling with the juggle of childcare. And, you know, even ones that tell me that even those without children are sometimes, they're still often struggling because they're at home, they're always switched on. You know, and there's no differentiation between the workplace and home. And then we're bringing in this hybrid working. So they're still going to be working from home. And how is that going to be balanced? And we've got summer holidays coming up. And many people are struggling to get childcare because not all holiday clubs are opening up as they used to before COVID. I had just one client the other day that said she'll prioritise through the day and catch up in the evenings. And I was like, be really careful with that, you know. Be really careful. So when we're focusing on these things, organisations are asking me once again to come in and revisit the healthy boundaries and how this can be managed. What that also does is send a message of support to your people as well. And so by revisiting the healthy boundaries, by revisiting your entire wellbeing plan, you can make sure that you are caring for both physical and mental well-being, you're incorporating the Health and Safety at Work Act and making sure that you've got the best for your employees with the potential for success, but also you're getting a good return on your investment for anything that you're bringing in externally, like me, of course. So I hope that's been really, really helpful. If you've been wondering about the areas that you need to focus on, have a look at those as a starter. 
And if you'd like to discuss how you can enhance your company's wellbeing plan or discuss virtual and even in-person training options or ensure that your leaders are on board with helping, you know, mental wellbeing in your workplace, then get in touch with me. Emma at emmalankton.com. Visit my website, obviously, emmalankton.com. I'll put all the links in the show notes. And let me know if you've got any questions or you want to just let me know how you've got on. I love to get information and email and messages from people that are listening to this. I had somebody the other day that said that they always listen to my podcast and they um, uh, read all the bits in my newsletters and they even save them to go back to them. At times I was delighted to hear that because I want to know that it's hitting the spot for you. So... It's been a slightly longer one this week. Thank you for bearing with me and listening all the way to the end. Don't forget to share this if it's helpful to somebody to go and leave a review. And then I'll see you again in the next episode. Thank you.